Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's news talk radio, TNT. Hey there. Welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's news talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me today. Uh, So we have a great show. Kathy Vogan from Consortium News will be joining us momentarily. There's so much to discuss. Um, We are really in crunch time uh, heading into the February court dates for Julian Assange. Um, So there is going to be a lot of coverage of that uh, between now and then. Obviously, we need to raise as much awareness as humanly possible. Uh, It is really difficult to get uh, information out. The uh, algorithms across all platforms do not like Assange content at all. Um, I'm not joking, especially uh, Twitter, where free speech is supposed to be, you know, all, all the rage. Um, you know, I can tweet something uh, ridiculous that one of my kids said about, you know, farting or something, and uh, that will get, you know, lots of impressions, millions of impressions even. Uh, Assange tweets, not so much. It is absurd. So uh, we definitely need to raise as much noise as humanly possible. Help us by... Uh, Uh, doing your own tweets, retweeting stuff that you see, uh, all of that stuff, contacting your House representatives, all all the things that we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about. Please help us do that. Um, Okay, so hey, listen, I don't think there's enough war and destruction going on to you. I think that we need a little bit more. Uh, Not to worry, uh, the Joe Biden administration is here for you. So in addition to, y'all, this is insanity. So in addition to bombing Yemen, Iraq, and Syria, Uh, and providing the bombs and weapons being used to destroy Ukraine and erase a generation of Ukrainian men, as well as to facilitate a genocide in Palestine. We're also now bombing Somalia. So that's good times. Um, So um, on uh, January, I think on Sunday, on January 21st, um, so this was tweeted out today, U.S. Africa Command, also known as AFRICOM, they tweeted out, in coordination with the federal government of Somalia, U.S. Africa Command conducted a collective self-defense airstrike with two engagements against the Al-Shabaab terrorist group on January 21st, 2024. So um, not to worry if you thought that there was, um, uh, you know, a chance that, uh, you know, Biden would be too busy to remember to bomb Somalia. Uh, He's on top of things. So no worries there. Um, Dave DeCamp has a great article out. Dave DeCamp has lots of great articles out. I don't know why I'm saying uh, just the one. Um, Go follow Dave DeCamp. I think he's at DeCampDave on Twitter. Um, And then you can find all of his stuff over at antiwar.com. And he also hosts Antiwar News over there. Uh, He does fantastic work. And he has been, uh, he does great stuff on the foreign policy front. Um, And uh, so he's the one that tweeted out the situation in Somalia. But also, um, uh, we also need to talk about the idea or, or the fact that NATO is going to be holding its largest military exercise since the Cold War. Because this is what we need. Um, so uh, Dave has an article out from January 18th, and he says NATO will launch major war games next week with about 90,000 troops to prepare for a potential conflict with Russia that will mark the alliance's largest military exercises since the end of the Cold War. Quote, exercise steadfast defender. 2024 will be the largest NATO exercise in decades with participation from approximately 90,000 forces from all 31 allies and our good partner, Sweden, and quote, General Christopher Cavoli, NATO's supreme allied commander in Europe, told reporters. The drills will take place across Europe and will involve reinforcements coming from North America. Quote, this reinforcement will occur during a simulated emerging conflict scenario against a near peer adversary, end quote, Cavoli said. Uh, Admiral uh, Rob Bauer, the Dutch chairman of the NATO 
NATO military committee made clear the drills were about preparing for a war with Russia. Quote, I'm not saying it is going wrong tomorrow, but we have to realize it's not a given that we are in peace, end quote. It's a very strangely constructed sentence, but all right, my guy. Um, Bauer suggested last year that NATO countries should discuss shifting their economies to a quote-unquote war economy where civilian factories would start producing military goods similar to what the United States did during, during World War II and said on Thursday that European societies need to be ready for a conflict, quote, it is the whole of society that will get involved in a war, whether we like it or not, end quote. Since Russia invaded Ukraine in February of 2022 and NATO threw its weight behind the Ukrainian war effort, the Western Military Alliance has been preparing for the possibility of direct war with Russia, despite the risk of it quickly turning nuclear. Last summer, NATO drew up plans on how to fight a war with Russia for the first time in decades that were approved by the alliance's Vilnius summit. Quote, for the first time in 30 years, we have the strategy, deterrence, and defense of the Euro-Atlantic area, and we have the plans to make the alliance fit for the purpose of collective territorial defense, end quote. So uh, we're bombing Somalia, we're preparing for war with Russia, um, and Joe Biden also has, uh, and his top advisors have also said that they think it's just a matter of time before U.S. troops are killed in Iraq or Syria. Dave also has an article uh, about that out from yesterday where uh, he says President Biden and his top advisors, advisors worry that it's just a matter of time before an American soldier is killed in Iraq or Syria amid a flurry of rocket attacks launched by Shia mil militias on U.S. bases that started in response to U.S. support for the Israeli slaughter in Gaza, which was reported by the New York Times on Sunday. So um, if you uh, just haven't had your fill of death and destruction, not to worry. Uh, there's more coming and we're prepping for even more <laughs> moving forward. Insanity. This is insane. It is, Y'all, can you are, are you having trouble feeding your kids like inflation sucks, right? People have lost their jobs. Gas is ridiculously expensive. Hey, we can't help you, but we got plenty of money for bombs and blowing people up. That's what we do, right? USA, USA. God, it's so embarrassing to be an American at this point. Oh, it's terrible. All right. Don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. There is a write-up for the guests of the day every day, so you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And shoot me an email, mistywinston at tntradio.live. Guest idea, show idea, um, question, rant, whatever. Hit me up. I'll try to get back to you. Um, and also, if you miss your favorite TNT radio uh, show or interview, you can listen back. Whenever you want, wherever you want, you can visit the episodes tab on the website, the TNT Radio website. It's tntradio.live. And then we're also on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. So there's no reason for you to miss out on anything right here on today's News Talk. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right. Reportedly, Mexico <laughs> would like to know exactly how it is that U.S. military-grade weapons have ended up in the hands of Mexican drug cartels. I mean, it's just one thing after another. Here with this story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. All right, my friends. So now, suddenly, mysteriously, uh, military-grade weapons are in the hands of drug cartels. I I'm sure that's fine, right? Yeah, you know, the image of these violent drug cartel uh, people having belt-fed machine guns, rocket launchers, grenades, you know, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, yeah, no, Mexico oh. was like, 
did this happen? We need answers. We need answers now, at least according to the Associated Press. Uh, so, yeah, the, the government down there in Mexico is alleging that these military-grade weapons are making their way from United States stocks and into the hands of the criminal cartels. And they're pretty much demanding, calling on the U.S. to urgently investigate the matter, uh, while the Mexican government has alleged many civilian-grade firearms have made their way across the U.S southern border into the hands of criminals because i guess the border works both ways right uh the mexican military has also reported finding weapons that are not readily available in the u.s civilian market such as the aforementioned belt-fed machine guns rocket launchers and grenades you didn't know you can't just buy that at your local store? Well, you can't. Um, Mexico's Foreign Relations Secretary Alicia Barsenia said this week, quote, the Mexican Defense Department has warned the United States about weapons entering Mexico that are for the exclusive use of the U.S. Army. It is very urgent that an investigation into this be carried out, end quote. In June, the Mexican military reported that it had seized 221 fully automatic weapons, 56 grenade launchers, and a dozen rocket launchers from drug cartels since the end of 2018. The fact that the cartels may have access to these powerful weapons has understandably caused alarm within the Mexican government and its military and law enforcement have struggled to overpower as as, excuse me, because its military and law enforcement uh, have been struggling to overpower and suppress the cartels. Uh, the cartels have already shown a level of resourcefulness, creating homemade armored vehicles by affixing heavy metal plates to their trucks, developing IEDs, improvised explosive devices, and burying them along roadways, and even using drones to drop explosives on top of their enemies. A combined military, uh, Mexican military and law enforcement operation to arrest uh, Video Guzman Lopez, the son of convicted Sinaloa drug cartel kingpin Joaquin Arquivaldo El Chapo Guzman Laura, turned into a pitched battle throughout the streets of Culiacan last year as cartel members contested their arrest with a heavily armed response. Mexican Defense Secretary Luis Crescencio Sandoval said cartel gunmen opened fire on the Mexican military troops and law enforcement officers with a half dozen 50 caliber machine guns during last year's arrest operation in Culiacan. Mr. Sandoval said the Mexican army was eventually forced to call in Black Hawk helicopters to target over two dozen cartel vehicles including trucks mounted with gun platforms. Mr. Sandoval said cartel fighters still managed to force down two of the military helicopters with, quote, a significant number of impacts, end quote, to both aircraft. And 10, military, uh, 10 Mexican military troops and a Culiacan police officer were killed in last year's battle, along with 19 suspected gang members. Uh, this is interesting. Ken Salazar, the ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Mexico, confirmed on Monday that Mexican officials had brought up the issue during meetings last week. Mr. Salazar said he had not been aware of the problem beforehand, but he pledged the United States would take measures to address the concerns of Mexican counterparts. Mr. Salazar said, quote, 
We are going to look into it. We are committed to working with Mexico's Defense Department to see what's going on, end quote. Ah, yes, that's that's what I like to hear, Misty. What do you think about this one? Oh, I mean, we're going to look into it, guys. No worries. It's uh, no, it's just military-grade weapons in the hands of drug cartels. I'm sure that's okay. It's fine. Uh, this is not – I mean, we, we're so careless – with these weapons. I mean, we've flooded Ukraine with, uh, I don't even know how many weapons at this point. I, I lost track of the billions of dollars in military grade weaponry we were sending into Ukraine. Um, and people will be like, oh, but that we needed to send that to them so they could defend themselves against Russia. Y'all, the, those weapons did not end up in the hands of the Ukrainian military. Some of them did, obviously, but I think that um, many of those ended up on the black market or in the hands of some very nefarious people. Not that the Ukrainian military isn't also nefarious, given you know the Azov Battalion and the literal Nazis that uh, 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 are in the military there. But th this is not the first time this has happened. I mean, we dump weapons into um, a whole host of regions. This is, we, I mean, Al-Qaeda had our weapons. This happens all the time. And the idea that we are so uh, unbelievably careless, it's hard to think that it's not intentional. I mean, how many times is it, do you get to say that, oh, uh, uh, whoops-a-daisy, that was an accident before it becomes intentional? And it's so frustrating to me because these same politicians, um, some of them anyway, the Democratic side of uh, this situation will, um, you know, wag their finger about gun control and talk about gun crime and all of that stuff. And it always, that always frustrates me to no end because these are the same people who, as I just talked about at the top of the show, are uh, uh, arming and funding and perpetuating numerous conflicts across the globe with, uh, uh, you know, gun um, so, yeah, it's just the, the hypocrisy of it. But I mean, it's just astonishing to me that we can be so careless with these weapons and the American people aren't uh, freaked out about that. I mean, it's maybe it's just because most people don't know. They don't. I'm, I'm sure that uh, this story isn't going to get much play. There's probably not going to be a whole lot of mainstream media coverage about this. But, um, you know, it, it should be concerning to everybody. I don't want Mexican drug cartels to have military grade weapons. That seems like a really bad idea. Uh, but what do you think, Adam? It's funny you said something about how you lost track of the billions of dollars of weapons that went to Ukraine. Well, they did so too. has the Pentagon, <laughs> literally. It was like yeah. two weeks ago, there was a report of the Pentagon lost track of, uh, I think it was exactly about a billion dollars. They have no idea where it went. We don't know. Uh, and then I remember at some point last year, I don't think it was like an official story or anything. Uh, I certainly didn't report on it, but it was making the rounds on social media. You might remember this. There were like pictures Something like, hey, yo, dude, this Mexican cartel guy has one of the weapons that we left behind in Afghanistan. How did yeah. they get that? Yeah. So like in none of these re these reports I was looking at for this today made any mention that it could have possibly came from, you know, either of those places. Um, it, uh, although who was it? Blaze Media brought up a report from Reuters last month that said that um, there there's some way that a lot of these weapons are coming from a, a town called Racine, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I don't buy that, buddy. I no. think that clearly we, we've lost track of all the weapons that the taxpayers paid for that were supposed to mm -hmm. go save democracy in Ukraine and other places. And yeah, it's it's right there at, at, at close to it's in the southern border. What if what if some of these these crazy people that we hear about? We don't know who these people are crossing the border. What if they get their hands on some of these military grade weapons and they come across the border? Then what? Are we going to do something about it then? I think we need to do something about it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it'd be cool if we could stop misplacing weapons. And I'm glad you brought up Afghanistan because when we withdrew from Afghanistan, we didn't really withdraw. But when we withdrew from Af we just 
we just left like all the stuff all of the we just left we're like yeah we'll just leave the stuff here are you joking like that is insanity to just leave that uh level of equipment and military grade weaponry and all of that stuff just willy-nilly hanging out in the deserts of afghanistan like what it's uh, and again you're right these are going to end up in the hands of uh people who don't think too highly of the united states and i'm gonna uh Imagine the day when we find out that our own weapons have been used against us in some kind of attack. That's that because that's what we're setting ourselves up for. So way to go, guys. Good job. Good job keeping track of those weapons. Um, all right, Adam, thanks for bringing us this story. We will talk to you again tomorrow. As always, hang tight. We're going to be back here on today's News Talk. TNT's Kate Shimarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things, and you flood your body with what it needs. What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shimarani on today's News Talk TNT. see it coming. It's pre-diabetes, and it captures one in three adults. You may not even know you have it, but you can escape. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test to know where you stand. With early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Be your own hero on smartphones everywhere at doihaveprediabetes.org. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNT Radio. Live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right. I'm very excited. Our guest today is Kathy Vogan. Kathy is an incredibly talented uh, artist and musician, in addition to being an amazing independent journalist uh, and also the executive producer of CN Live, which is uh, the incredible consortium news uh, pr- news program that they do, their live show that they do. Um, they're actually going to be co-hosting an event uh, coming up here on January 29th in Sydney uh, with Politics in the Pub. Um, and it's called Saving Julian Assange. It's now or never. Uh, that is also going to be live streamed and recorded so that if you aren't able to make it in person, uh, you'll be able to check it out afterwards. We'll get into some of the uh, details about that later on in the show uh, uh, and dive into that. So, Kathy, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Misty. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. I love it when you're here, um, especially because, uh, you know, we are kind of reaching a critical point in the Assange case, as we've been talking about for, uh, you know, some weeks now. But we have an official uh, court date, two official court dates, I guess, February 20th and 21st um, in London. Um, And this is really kind of the last attempt at preventing extradition, correct? Um, Yes. Well, uh, it's supposed to be an appeal uh, to overturn 
hopefully, the decision, uh, uh, the swift decision of Jonathan Swift to uh, refuse uh, uh, leave for Julian Assange to appeal to the High Court. Now, things have happened in between, so there may be issues that uh, come up. Um, one very important thing that has happened, and this is something that Craig Murray wrote about in November in uh, an article called um, The Supreme Court, Rwanda and Assange, and that's uh, AAA, I'm not really quite sure what that stands for, AAA versus the Secretary of State for the Home Department, or Home Secretary, and 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 a big a big decision was taken there about assurances coming from a a, a a requesting country for extradition. Now, before it was uh, it was up to the Home Secretary to decide uh, if a country is safe for somebody to be extradited to, and um, usually that was based on a couple of diplomatic notes. And the Supreme Court has, <clears throat> has decided that this is no longer the case, that it, these assurances must be tested in a court of law and, and so and thoroughly investigated. And so that uh, Murray, Craig Murray, points out that this is highly relevant to the case of Julian Assange, because if you remember, after the, um, the court of first instance refused to extradite Julian Assange, uh, the US appealed, and uh, then uh, the the two judges on, on that panel, panel uh, Burnett and, and Holyroad, said, okay, uh, well, those assurances, even though when we read them, they were, you know, there was caveats in there, we can break this anytime we like. But they decided it was fine and, and then overturned the whole um, decision. And in fact, at the time, the late John Pilger asked, well, what was the point of the whole extradition hearing, especially the testimony of four expert medical witnesses to, and also uh, other, other witnesses, Yancy Ellis, Joel Sickler, for example, who testified as to the appalling conditions in United States prisons. It was on the basis of those two things, uh, mental health reasons and conditions in US prisons that Judge Vanessa Barreto decided not to extradite Julian Assange. Well, now, in fact, uh, we, we, we can review that again. It should be reviewed because Julian Assange's health has further deteriorated. This, this was um, in 2021. It was three years ago um, exactly uh, since, you know, she, uh, the, she said, uh, I'm not going to extradite him. And then the appeal came up and, and his health has really changed since then. And as a result of this decision that came down in the Supreme Court, where is no longer the, the place of a Home Secretary to decide and state that a country is safe, uh, the, a group of Australian parliamentarians, and of course, in our parliament, there are over 70 uh, people, uh, representatives and senators who are in this group now. It's a, a support group, a Bring Assange Home group. Uh, but it, they have written a letter to the Home Secretary, James Cleverly, and now they have uh, demanded um, or requested, let's be nice about it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote, 
we are requesting that you undertake an urgent, thorough and independent assessment of the risks to Mr. Assange's health and welfare in the event he is extradited to the United States. Consistent with the decision in AAA, it appears to us that such independent investigation should include, include a close review of the risks to Mr. Assange's health, life and well-being through prolonged detention in one or more high security US detention facilities. And rightly so, because this, I don't know, I think I talked about this uh, before on one of, uh, one of your shows. There was a distinction drawn um, by, uh, in uh, a later appeal by justice, in fact, it was the same appeal, uh, the US appeal, there was a distinction drawn between uh, Julian Assange and Laurie Love, mm -hmm. uh, whom Justice Lord, uh, Chief, Lord Chief Justice Ian Burnett had refused to extradite on health grounds. And at the time he said, well, Laurie Love is suffering from a physical condition as well. Now, that was the very day that Julian had the stroke. Yeah. And it was... Oh, how long was it? About nine weeks later that the the the, uh, the decision was announced, and then I think just two days after that, we got the news that Julian had a stroke. But this 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 distinction that Burnett made between Assange and Love, uh, uh, it was never reviewed. It's never been reviewed in a court of law, and this is a very clever letter, to cleverly uh, re requesting. It's one of the best things that the Australian parliamentarians have done because now they have they have requested this investigation and let's remember they want it to be independent so that is going to trigger the testing of the US assurances we hope and I, I'm not sure but it may it may come down um, to an, another hearing in the in the Supreme Court we have yeah. The high court, high court um, it's a kind of a review, Swift's, Kurt, and somewhat glib. Let's uh, let's use the word glib because yes. uh, Craig Murray, uh, my favourite phrase in that article he wrote, he, um, because Swift was involved in the Rwandan um, decision, which was overturned, um, uh, he says that the Supreme Court may have twigged Swift as, as a glib little wanker. Um, <laughs> I love Craig Murray. I love Craig Murray. He is like the, the amount of snark that he manages to get into his articles. And he's so he's just so witty and clever. I love like he's just fantastic. So, OK, listen, we have to take a quick break and get some headlines. But you're right. I think that this is um, super interesting. Now, are they going to care? Is it going to are they? Uh, we, who knows? But at the very least, I think that this is um, a, a little glimmer of hope. So uh, we'll dive into some more of these details uh, right after this here on TNT. Big news. Yeah. We do have some big news. TNT Radio News. Big news. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Two motorists were killed, tens of thousands of people were left without electricity, and hundreds of trains were cancelled Monday after the latest winter storm lashed Britain and Ireland with heavy rain and wind gusts that topped 100 miles per hour. Farmers in France continued their protests on Monday by blocking roads with tractors and trucks. 
a movement that began last week. At a rally Monday night in New Hampshire, former President Donald Trump promised the four greatest years in the history of our country if he returns to the White House. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. All right. We are here with Kathy Vogue and we're talking about the uh, Julian Assange case, which um, is really in a crunch time moment. There are two new court dates uh, in February, February 20th and 21st. If you are, it's in London, Royal Courts of uh, Justice. If you are anywhere near London, uh, please get to the court if you can. Um, there's going to be rallies taking place. I believe everybody intends to gather outside the court um, around 830. Um, and we need as many people there as humanly possible to send a message. Um, so if you can get there, please get there. There will be uh, other events taking place globally. I know that there will be taking stuff in D.C., Boston, Denver, Seattle, um, uh, other places, uh, Tulsa, other places here in the state. So uh, try to find an event near you and get out there and show support in whatever way that you can. So um, we were just talking about this uh, newest letter from uh, Austra- uh, some members of the Australian uh, Parliament, um, and uh, as Kathy was just saying, this it's a it's it, this is an interesting prospect, and I think that um, it's good to have some maybe a little uh, a little cautious optimism here. Um, but what's so frustrating to me about this whole situation and about these so-called assurances is that Kathy. United States assurances, really? Who takes that seriously? Oh, we promise we're going to be nice to him. We we promise. Pinky swear. It's just so absurd on its face. The idea that, not to mention, the United States has been revealed to have been plotting to murder him. So the idea that there is even a consideration um, from any court, from any judge anywhere on planet Earth to extradite this man to a country that was revealed to be plotting to assassinate him is so beyond my ability to comprehend. And it just, I think, lays bare the height of corruption that has uh, been pervasive in in this entire situation. But I mean, you you seem to think that there's reason to be uh, a little bit optimistic here. Obviously, Craig Murray has a little glimmer of hope as well. Um, What can we expect from this? When can we expect some kind of uh, reply to this? Uh, I'm not familiar with how um, you know, the uh, cleverly works or any of that stuff. What do you, wh- where do you think this is going? <clears throat> well, as I said, uh, this is supposed to be just a, a review. And excuse me, I said Holly, Holly Road before it's Holroyd and oh. uh, Burnett. So there's, it's going to be um, a review of Swift, Swift's decision, which um, was to hear a high court appeal um, uh, after Burnett and Holroyd uh, d- decided that to overturn uh, the the lower court decision not to extradite, and uh, that would be or that appeal uh, if it goes forward and, and and it is permitted. We don't know who the judges are going to be. Let's hope it's not the same two, but yeah. um, we don't know. Uh, if it'll go ahead, but it's got, it should be about all of the other points uh, that that Baraita, Judge Baraita, um agreed uh, with with the United States or the the Crown on. So the only one where she said no, I uh, I am not going to extradite him on health grounds. You see, there was all those other points that they made, and you. You bring up the assassination attempt. There has been lots of things that have happened since yeah. then. But also there's the, you know, the whole uh, UC Global um, 
uh, case and now that's uh, you know <laughs> we found out since that in the in a spanish court and now <clears throat> in the united states there's a fourth amendment case uh, that's going forward with the roth law, law firm um where it is uh, uh kunstler that's margaret kunstler um margaret ratner kunstler kunstler versus cia so we, we we now know that there was breach of um, um, attorney-client privilege as well. That is a very grave matter. I mean, that's another thing that should get the th uh, the case thrown out of court. There are many different things that that, uh, and we would love Assange to have his say. But at the same time, my God, he's he's been in Belmarsh for five years now. And yeah. you know you can't you can't expect a human being to wait their whole lifetime to to be given permission to just say excuse me, but uh, you know the, what's what's been done here is terribly wrong. Now the other thing that is um, that is really important, if you read the hundred and fifty page submission to the High Court from. Uh, Assange's defence team, led uh, that led uh, the supervision supervised by Gareth Pierce, I might add. You you will find out that there are a number of of, of um, cases uh, where the U.S. deceived the U.K. court on the core facts of the case. Yeah, uh, I won't go into those details, but you know all of that comes under the category of uh, Zakruski abuse. So you know the evidence has to be um, truthful. It has to be fair. It has to you know. So there's there's all of that where the whole thing was misrepresented. Um, so it would be good for the world would love to hear that and Julian battle for the free press. But the the point is that our Australian prime minister and the leader of the opposition. It's very rare that they agree on something i don't can't even think of another major case um where you know something as controversial as as julian's case was in the past they are absolutely in agreement and there's 70 parliamentarians that are just terribly concerned about julian's health at this stage and we have to understand that his life is slipping away so yes. You know, and I think that the other thing is that even even from a political point of view, it would be a good move for the Biden administration. Yes. Biden's popularity has plummeted uh, due to wars that, that are going on and, and, and other domestic issues. And you have, uh, you know, a similar thing happen happening in the UK, that it would be, you know, a relief to all of us uh, if, if Julian was just... Uh, given his life back again and sent back to his his uh, young family. Yeah, 100%. And that's, um, I think that people need to, we need to really impress upon people how dire Julian's situation is. His health has been declining for many years now. Stella was just not, Stella Assange, his wife, sorry, I speak in, uh, uh, you know, very brief terms here, but his wife was just recently on uh, the Jimmy Dore uh, show, um, which was being guest hosted by my friend Ru uh, Russell. Um, and they asked about Julian's condition. And she said, it's difficult to answer that question because it varies from day to day, but his health has been declining for a very long time. And I think that what people really need to think about is that he's being held in 
indefinite detention, which means there's no end game. He, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. He has no idea when this situation will come to a conclusion. And that is a, a, another uh, addition to the torturous aspect of this, because if you can just imagine being in a high security prison for nearly five years now, as Kathy just mentioned, and you have no idea when or if that will ever end or when or if you will ever get to um, speak your piece or have a voice or any of that, I think that that is incredibly difficult to deal with. Um, and so not only is his health declining physically, as you mentioned, he had the mini stroke. Um, he has had a, a whole barrage of health issues over the years from shoulder issues to tooth uh, issues. Um, he was unable to get adequate health care for many years while he was in the embassy. Um, but also his mental condition has been declining for a very long time, as I think anyone would expect when you are dealing with, um, you know, prolonged isolation um, and really uh, just terrible conditions. So we have to take another quick break, uh, but we're going to get into um, some more uh, details here on these court cases coming up right after this here on today's News Talk. Anticipate potential delays for the morning commute. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. What are you talking about, man? Look at this stats. It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious. Some are easy to miss. But they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we are here with Kathy Vogan from the Incredible Consortium News. I know I talk about them all the time on the show. I'm going to do it again. Uh, they are fantastic. Some of the best work that is being done out there. Please go and support them however you're able. Um, uh, I just, I can't, there's not enough praise to heap upon them. So uh, we're here talking about the Julian Assange case. So you were just talking about um, uh, that Julian would like to have a voice. And I'm curious, do you know, is he going to be permitted to attend these uh, two court, here, the, the two court dates in February? Is he going to be allowed to attend in person? Do you know? Oh, I wouldn't know that, but, um, you know, he hasn't been allowed to attend in person for a very long time now. I know. Um, and we've, we've just, uh, if you're a courtroom journalist, I've been live tweeting from the courtroom. Uh, you can see him on a monitor. Uh, he's just in a room uh, that is actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, connects to the prison. So he's not, uh, yeah, he's not physically in court. And it's hard to tell whether the judges can actually see him. If they can, then, as Mary point, uh, Kostakidis pointed out, it's absolutely scandalous that they didn't halt the proceedings the day that he had this mini stroke because, my right. God, he looked so ill. We knew he was ill. He was absolutely 
almost fatally ill. Mary called me and said, what the hell is wrong with him? He keeps falling over and yeah. he can't, can't hold his head up. And his, his, his face was ashen and his eyes were kind of rolling back in his head. I mean, who wouldn't know? That something I know. is terribly wrong. I remember that day, Kathy, because literally everybody, Kevin Gastola, Mary Kostakidis, every journalist who was in the courtroom and was seeing him on screen, everybody was talking about how awful he looked. He looks so uh, sick. He looks like he's about to pass out. And I, I, it was just breaking my heart because... Um, you know, it, and it was so frustrating about that day and that situation was as he is sitting there in a tiny room uh, in Belmarsh where he's being forced to participate in his own trial via video link, which is absurd. Um, he's in a fight for his life and they won't even allow him to attend his own hearings in person. But in the courtroom, as he is sitting there in this tiny room in Belmarsh having a mini stroke, the prosecution is in the courtroom calling him a malingerer, saying he's faking it to avoid uh, accountability. I It's mind blowing. You couldn't write that. I mean, it is just, oh, it's so frustrating, Kathy. It's so frustrating. Yeah, well, that's what would really do your head in because yeah. if, you, if you're a bit confused that uh, the de the defense was insisting that he would, that, that that's what the argument was about, his likelihood of commit committing suicide. So therefore, to prove his integrity, he would have to do it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> crazy or it's an insane argument yes or die yeah. and i think honestly i think that that they would like for him to die in prison i think that that would be a very easy way for them to everybody to just wash their hands of it oh oh no look at that that's terrible what a tragedy and then everybody would move about their day um and i mean it's i think it's very easy for those of us who um are admirers of assange to um think that he is somewhat superhuman due to everything that he's been able to withstand but we need to remember he is just a man and he has been uh, he has had to withstand so much over the course of the past decade plus. Um, this is not just the nearly five years in Belmarsh. It's the years that he spent in the Ecuadorian embassy and the years that he was uh, being detained in some way, shape, form or fashion uh, in the time before that. So this is really, as you just said, his life is slipping away. He has uh, had to sacrifice over a decade of his life, over a decade of time. I mean, if you just think about if I if I think back to everything I've done in the past decade um, and I realize that that's been stolen from him, it makes me incredibly angry uh, that he is being uh, punished in this way simply for telling the truth. That's all that he did was publish truthful information. What a tragedy. Well, Terrible. That's, that's right. And um, well, well, let's not forget that in the first five years that he was in the Ecuadorian embassy um, under the presidency of uh, Rafael Correa, um, he was uh, Fidel Narvaez, who was uh, there looking after the first secretary at the Ecuadorian embassy, um, tells us that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't easy being uh, confined and he wasn't getting any sunlight. Um, but he was able to keep working and there were lots of people that went to, to visit. But then, you know, gradually when uh, President Moreno took over, uh, the the staff at the embassy uh, were changed and and they just started getting more more and more draconian. Um, Stella Assange describes it as a black site. It became like a black site. A lot of this is described. In fact, the whole thing is described in the book by Nils Melser, the, the the trial of Julian Assange. And I think that's that's very worth reading. I think a lot of yes. people have now to get the the finer details. For example, that there were 
50 violations around 50, I think he said over 50, violations of due process in Sweden alone in yes. order to to ensnare him and, uh, you know, get him over there. And then they had a temporary surrender treaty going with the United States to bounce him across uh, there to, to the United States. I mean, that's why he went to the embassy um, in the first place. Um, you know, he got word of where he was, um, you know, headed for. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was very, very harsh conditions there that were awaiting him in Sweden. And that was all completely trumped up. I mean, it's disgraceful that even uh, a witness uh, testimony was tampered with. A police person, uh, Melly Kranz, she signed, she signed this uh, statement from a witness who had not um, had only just begun to talk and then she realized what they were trying to do and and, mm -hmm. and and took off and and they fabricated evidence they they spoke to the press when that's absolutely the police did when it's absolutely against the law to do that when and and they you know the whole world was convinced that there were charges there in sweden and it never went beyond uh, a preliminary investigation which was absolutely fruitless had to be dropped in the end because there was there was just no evidence that any of this had happened which is yeah. ploy, a ploy to there's get just them. been so many things in this whole situation i mean we've mentioned just a few of them the obviously the trumped up stuff in sweden we mentioned the uc global case where literally the cia co-opted um a security firm from uh, uh, spain uh, and turned it into essentially a spying operation where they were recording uh conversations with julian assange and all of his visitors including and i know we touched on this briefly but i think it needs to be repeated they were spying on conversations with his legal team that is an unbelievable violation of his rights. I, the idea that that alone isn't enough to have this case lit on fire is astonishing to me. Um, we mentioned the uh, um, the assassination plots that, that that were developed at the highest levels of the Trump administration. I mean, there's just been so many things and so many violations of his rights that it is it, it really is astonishing to me that this has been allowed to continue, that this is able to continue, and that there isn't more public outcry about it. I mean, we are starting to see um, uh, support for Assange grow, which has been kind of a, a slow buildup. I think that, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing that obviously, as you mentioned, there's a massive group of parliamentarians in Australia, uh, who are now supportive of Assange. And that is in no small part, thanks to the incredible activists on the ground there, um, who have done a phenomenal job of lobbying those politicians, of reaching out to them, of putting pressure on them, of making it an election issue, of making it, uh, an issue of importance, um, in Australian, uh, uh, politics, which um, they, they don't get enough. The, the activists over there don't get enough uh, credit, in my opinion. Um, but it's just it's uh, to me, it's just so I'm impatient and it seems very slow. Um, and as you said, as we've been talking about, Julian's health has been in decline for some time now. And I'm just not sure how much he can take. Uh, and it, I, I it's just I would very much like to see him home, Kathy. That's all I'm trying to say. That's I would like to see him home. Yeah, and I think we we'd like to see him working again. Uh, you know, the he has won around thirty major awards for journalism. I mean, yes. you've even had these 
these people trying to say this guy's not a journalist. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's won the uh, uh, our equivalent of the Pulitzer Prize in Australia. He's won a Walkley Award, but he's also, you know, won so many, just about every award. He's the most highly awarded journalist in history. Yes. How many? How many awards has Rupert Murdoch won? None. <laughs> Zero. No, he gives them out to his stuff, but uh, yeah. Well, what do you think? I wanted to ask you, what did you what do you think? Because what you just said is 100 percent true. Julian Assange is absolutely a journalist. There is no debate about that. He is a card carrying member of two, I think, two different journalist unions. Um, he's an honorary member of some others. He's won dozens of journalism awards. He WikiLeaks, as far as I know, is the only news organization on planet Earth who has a 100 percent record of accuracy. Yeah. I, I don't know. That seems pretty journalistic to me. Uh, but the Committee to Protect Journalists just recently refused to add him to their list of detained journalists. And when Kevin Stola reached out to them. They said he's not a journalist. What the heck, Kathy? Well, you know, I remember. Um, I think it might have been Craig Murray who said that um, judges read the newspapers too, and probably these people who run these organisations read the newspapers uh, as well. And there's been so much misinformation fed to journalists. I mean, this doesn't just happen in relation to Assange. It, it, it happens in relation to wars, for, for yes. example, as well. First casualty uh, is truth. Um, so these are things that people have heard over the last decade. And one of the jobs of uh, activists, uh, but also um, journalists who um, have taken on this uh, case and want to uh, you know, really know, know the truth about what happened, writers as well. That's that's kind of like three quarters of the job to try and to try and get it to percolate down. And, and so that, it, you know, people people like that who run these organizations, who, who knows who they are, if they're really paying attention. And let's face it, there isn't enough known about Julian Assange in, in the United States. Yeah. information about him has been kept out or else falsified but i believe you've got a, a resolution 934 yes. that has, uh, that has um, you know been started um in the united states so uh you know there for example that resolution this whole business about him having uh you know uh, aided chelsea manning uh, to obtain this information that that um, that has been called, I think, fabled nonsense in this resolution because, of course, in court it has been amply demonstrated, and in fact, it was demonstrated in Manning's court martial back mm -hmm. in 2012 that that was patent nonsense. But there had to be some kind of hook to, you know, to enable uh, to enable these espionage charges. Otherwise, you know. Uh, as Biden said back in 2011, if the information was just dropped on a journalist's lap, they they would just be a regular journalist. That you couldn't you couldn't convict them of anything. My God, that would be a disaster. And actually, I don't know if you know this, but in the 150-page High Court appeal that uh, Justice Swift rejected, it is mentioned there that. At the, at the very last moment, uh, the US prosecution dropped that accusation that Julian had aided and abetted Manning. So that's, yeah. 
yeah, that's actually something that that uh, I didn't know until I read that appeal that that they had actually um, disavowed that uh, you know that opinion that that's what happened. That was a narrative that they invented in order to help Manning be anonymous. Um, this is rubbish because Manning had nothing to do with WikiLeaks before. Um, nearly all of it, except for the State Department cables, had been uploaded to the WikiLeaks website and uh you know the manning a top secret clearance already yeah. so why yeah. why would she need uh, any help whatsoever uh, i was also told that you know she was a a crack um crack technician and often helping the others there um in the place where she was working yeah. um i just uh, wanted to tell you a little bit more about the event on Monday. yes please yes i'm just um, going to do that because uh, one very important uh, speaker that we have is Jennifer Robinson. So that's Julian Assange's lawyer. You asked for more details on what is upcoming. So Jennifer may well be able to fill us in and give us a, a better idea of what's going to happen on February 20th and 21st. We also have Senator David Shoebridge, who is one of the four uh, co-signatories of the letter to the UK Home Secretary, James Cleverly. Um, he has been a very strong voice for uh, yes. getting a, getting Assange home. He, ha he was one of the DC6, the six um, Australian politicians who went to Washington uh, last, late last year. Um, so uh, we we will hear a lot more from Shoebridge as well. Plus, I'm going to do an interview uh, next week with with uh, with him and uh, Josh Wilson, uh, another another uh, Australian politician. But this one is a member of the government, so they're both going to talk more about this letter to the 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 UK Home Secretary and what the Australian politicians are asking for uh, and rightly so and Mary Kostakidis who uh, was um, uh, really the face of um, primetime news for 20 years in Australia on our international channel SBS uh, she is still a journalist and still writing away so uh, Mary also um, was one of the two people who awarded Julian the Sydney Peace Medal for um, exceptional courage and initiative in the pursuit of human rights. Uh, so she is going to uh, be talking. If anybody knows the Assange case, uh, Mary does. I think she's yes. been... She's been um, <laughs> You know, following it since two thousand and six, when when WikiLeaks started, the other person who 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 gave that award is Stuart Rees. We're going to have Stuart Rees um, as well. He's going to be giving a short in introduction. We have Dr. Arthur Chesterfield Evans, uh, who is one of the doctors for Assange, and I feel it's quite important that uh, we have him speak as well. Uh, in order to clarify for people what would happen to Julian Assange if he were in, say, ADC in um, Alexandria and he had a, a, a major stroke. Well, basically, he's dead meat. You yeah. have to get him into a sophisticated uh, operating room within three hours or else, you know, it's just forget it. 
um, and Jill Stein uh, as one of the doctors for Assange, she also yeah. has- Kathy, has listen, we're almost out of time. I'm sorry to have to interrupt you. Joe Loria is also going to be speaking at this event. That's right, please, yes. Yeah, please, and I love Joe, he's fantastic. Please go to politicsinthepub.org.au or consortiumnews.com. You can find out more information there. Again, this is going to be on January 29th, so please check that out. Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome back anytime, of course. Um, as Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shays right after this here on today's News Talk.